Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Joni Mitchell Podcast, a brand new podcast devoted to musicians and other artists talking about their love of Joni Mitchell one record at a time. I'm your host, Zachary Scott Johnson. Today's episode is a pilot episode, the first episode of this new series where I intend to talk to a different guest each week about their favorite Joni Mitchell record. I'm a Minnesota-based singer-songwriter myself, and I credit Joni with inspiring me to become a musician, which has been my full-time occupation for more than 10 years. Without Joni, I might well be doing something else. For today's episode, I'm going to be talking to my friend and fellow Minnesota singer-songwriter Vicki Emerson. Before we get to that interview, however, I want to take just a couple of minutes and talk about what this podcast is intended to be and why I'm doing it. In most episodes, the focus will be on Joni and the guest, but as this is the first episode, I wanted to give some context for why I've decided to break into the podcast world and why I want to talk about Joni Mitchell. As I mentioned a moment ago, I'm a singer-songwriter. I've been one since 2001 when I was in college and trying to find my way. I've been fortunate that since that time, I've been able to be a touring musician who makes CDs and gets to play in front of nice audiences 75 to 100 times per year. I've put out four records, the most recent of which is just coming out, a CD called Sad Songs that you'll soon find on iTunes, Amazon, and my own website, which is www.zacharyscottjohnson.com. Zachary, by the way, is Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y, and Scott only has one T, S-C-O-T, so zacharyscottjohnson.com. I also have my own project on YouTube called The Song A Day Project. That's all one word squished together, The Song A Day Project. The Song A Day Project is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. I record a song a day, every day, and I've been doing that for over four years now without missing any days. The Song A Day Project has run at this point for nearly 1,500 consecutive days. It has nearly 35 million views, and it's afforded me the great pleasure of being able to collaborate with over 100 of my musical heroes, including, among many others, Sean Colvin, Roseanne Cash, Mark Cohn, Noel Paul Stuckey, and Peter Yarrow from Peter, Paul, and Mary. Jeff Daniels, who is also one of my favorite actors, Lisa Loeb, the great band Over the Rhine, and many, many more. On the Song A Day project, I do original songs as often as I can make myself write something new. However, a good bulk of the songs are covers by my favorite artists, and over the last two and a half years in particular, I've been recording some of my favorite CDs in their entirety. I've done this with over 50 records total, including Joni Mitchell's first two records. My hope is that as the Song A Day project carries on, I'll get to do every one of her records, as well as make my way through the discography of many of my other favorite artists. So let's talk about why Joni Mitchell. I was lucky enough to be raised in a household where the music that was played around the house were the singer-songwriters of the 70s mostly, and the Beatles, of course. But a lot of what I heard were my parents' favorites. James Taylor, Neil Young, Bob Dylan, Jackson Brown, Linda Ronstadt, and many others. Then one day, I heard my parents play one of their all-time favorite records, one they've purchased on vinyl, CD, and probably several other formats over the years, Joni Mitchell's Ladies of the Canyon. I was 9 or 10 and became fascinated with her voice. Around that time, they taped on a VCR, kids look that abbreviation up, along with what taping is, a TV appearance Joni did in the early 90s promoting what was then a new record. I started buying up her records until I owned all of them, and I dove into her music. She inspired me to pick up the guitar and try to reach people just like she had reached me. My middle and high school teachers thought it was very deep that I knew Joni's music, and my friends tolerated it too. I have been a fan of Joni's most of my life. Certainly she's been in my life longer than the time that she hasn't been in my life. 
I don't think she gets talked about often enough anymore, and certain periods of her work are woefully overlooked and snubbed. That's why I'm here. Every episode, I'm going to try to explore one of her records in depth. As I mentioned, I'm going to try to get my guests to pick their favorite Joni records because, honestly, I want to talk about them all, and I don't really care what order this goes in. However, I'm going to do my best to make sure we don't have 100 people who want to talk about Blue and no one who wants to talk about Dog Eat Dog. We're going to cover it all. When my friend Vicky mentioned that she wanted to talk about Joni's 1996 compilation record, Misses, which is a companion piece to the more traditional hits package, I was fascinated. The format for this show, as it begins anyway, is that I'm going to have a guest on each week and talk to them for 30 minutes to an hour about their favorite Joni record. I'll ask them to give me their top five Joni records. I'm going to ask them to give me some recommendations of other artists whose music they're enjoying and I should be listening to. And otherwise, we're going to let the conversation about whatever record we're talking about lead us. I'll split up each interview into two parts and record a cover version of a Joni song from whatever record we're discussing, and I'll put that up halfway through just to break up the chat a bit. On certain weeks, I'll record a second cover and play it at the end of the interview. I hope you'll not view this as self-indulgent. It's not really about me. It's about appreciating Joni's songs. I will be as consistent as I can with this podcast, and I'll bring you new episodes as often as I can find guests to talk about Joni's records. It may not be weekly or even set to a specific schedule, but I'll do my best. To that end, if you want to talk to me about Joni Mitchell and your favorite Joni record, please email me at Podcast at gmail.com. You can also like me on Facebook under Zachary Scott Johnson or follow me on Twitter at Zachary Scott or Instagram Zachary Scott Johnson. This part probably goes without saying, but this podcast is more than a little biased. I think Joni Mitchell is incredible, and although I'm going to be honest about my lesser favorite records and songs, I want to state for the record that I love pretty much everything Joni has ever done, and I think she deserves every accolade that is thrown her way. I don't think she gets nearly as much respect as many of her contemporaries, especially her male contemporaries like Bob Dylan and Neil Young, and I want to do my part to get people excited about Joni's work. The way I see it, if I turn one person onto Joni's music, I've done my job here. I also want to point out that this is my first ever podcast, so I hope you'll be patient with me as I learn the ropes here. Please do feel free to send me your thoughts to that Joni Mitchell podcast at gmail.com address. Uh, let me know what you like about it. Let me know what you don't like about it. Please take the time to review this podcast, especially if you like it, at whatever platform you use to download it. That's probably the best thing that you can do to help out the podcast. Um, I want to tell a quick story about why I'm releasing this today. It is my parents' wedding anniversary today, and my mother walked down the aisle uh, to Joni Mitchell's Morning Morgantown off of Ladies of the Canyon. I thought it was appropriate to put this up today and start the podcast today. There was a little trickery involved. Uh, the, the officiant at that wedding was kind of strict and decided that he wasn't going to allow anything that wasn't to be found in the church hymnal to be played at the wedding. Uh, so they tricked him, and they played a different song at the rehearsal dinner, uh, got his A-OK, and then the next day got the organist, who happened to be my mother's cousin, to play Morning Morgantown instead. Pastor never knew. Go figure. Anyway, um, thank you. However you found this, I thank you for listening, and uh, we're going to start the show now. So thank you. 
Okay, everybody, we're here for the pilot episode of the Joni Mitchell Podcast. I'm here with my friend Vicki Emerson. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank good. you for doing this. You bet. My pleasure. Thanks for doing the first episode of the Joni Mitchell Podcast. I know. This is exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's something, right? <laughs> so let's start by introducing you and your music. You're also a musician. Um, you have a great new record out. Thank you. Can you tell us a little something about that sure. record and you? Uh, I live in Minneapolis. I'm a singer-songwriter. I've been doing this and playing music and writing songs and touring for about 10 years. Okay. Uh, I've lived all over the place. Uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, now Minneapolis, but in between <laughs> there it was uh, New York City, San Francisco. It's been a, um, a lot of miles there, a yeah. lot of different, different uh, places that I've lived. But um, my music is Americana, and the album that's out is called "Wake Me When the Wind Dies Down," which is a really genuinely great record. Thank you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't plug it if I didn't believe in it. It's a great <laughs> record. Um, you're a Wisconsin native, like myself, right? Yes. I saw that in your bio. Yes, we're both Wisconsin natives who have now defected to the other side of the Mississippi here I know. in Minnesota. There was something else in your bio. Oh, what is the, a former UFO something? What is that? So, uh, so the town that I'm from is Elmwood, Wisconsin, which is a population of about 774 people. Okay. And uh, it's a small town, and so you know how small towns have their little weekend celebrations mm -hmm. in the summer. Uh, Elmwood has UFO days. They really? are the self-proclaimed UFO capital of the world. Really? Self-proclaimed. How have I never known this? <laughs> I know. Uh, well, anyway, it's the last weekend of July, and they have UFO days. And when I was a young girl, my mom told me I should run for Miss UFO. <laughs> and her selling point was, well, it looks so good on your resume, Vicki. <laughs> Has it helped? Uh, no. It's still I'm on still, your resume. It's still on there. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that to help. Anyway, so I, I got to ride a float and uh, do that whole thing. Except our float uh, wasn't like those, you know, the pretty floats with all the flowers and mm -hmm. the girls and the sashes. Ours was built out of sheet metal and it was a UFO and I got to sit on the top. Whoa. There's a picture I That's pretty cool. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was cool. No. I mean you, that it sounds cool. That float would come down the street and everybody would be like, stop and stare and then start laughing. You oh, know? It okay. was kind that of that kind of thing. It was that kind of thing. But, you know, it's a nice little town. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and uh it's in a beautiful part of Wisconsin, very like lush hills, very beautiful. Yeah, but you know, I, uh, <laughs> I I like where I'm living now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Minnesota is a great, great place, especially for the arts. It okay, is. so we're we're gonna talk about. When I pitched this to you, <laughs> let's start by, I'm, I'm mostly in the interest of being like really transparent about all these things. When I asked you to do this, I told you what it was going to be about and I said, if possible, stay away from blue only because everybody's going to want to talk about blue. I, I just want to yes. postpone that. Not because I don't love it, I think it's a perfect record, but I just don't want to talk about that a million times. Right, you know? and nobody wants to listen to that, you know, I think a million times. Like, they right. want to talk about her other work, too. And so you came to me with the most fascinating B plan, <laughs> I know. which is her 1996 compilation record, Mrs. Mrs. 
Yeah, so explain this to me. Okay. Why do you love this record? How did you come across it? I do love this record. So I lived in St. Paul, like I mentioned here at the mm -hmm. beginning of our conversation, and I just really had started songwriting and playing little coffee shop gigs here and there. I was just really be at the beginning, and I had people telling me, oh, you need to listen to so-and-so. You need to, I mean, I'm yeah. sure that was the same for you. Like sure. People were like, you need to study, study some of the greats, and of course, Joni Mitchell was one of them, and her album Blue was right at the top. Mm -hmm. There were other, you know, other Carol King, you know, I mean, all of these, you know, fe strong female songwriters. And um, <clears throat> so I was, one of my favorite things to do was to go to Cheapo Records mm -hmm. in Highland Park. And still love it. <laughs> still love it. And I would, I would go through, and I found this album, Joni Mitchell Misses. And I'm like, oh. I don't have this. I've never heard of it. And this is probably early 2000. Okay. So I I bought it and I brought it home and about like four tracks in I was like this is fascinating. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's it's not I think an an easy listen. No. You know, I and so I was and it's funny now revisiting it this now ten years later in a songwriting career, I noticed different things than I did there. That that my first initial things were just her her range her vocal range sure. to me was so, just like, oh my gosh. Dumb question. Were you aware that it was a compilation record when you bought it? Or did you think no. it was a, like a regular record? Well, then I looked on the back. because yeah. about, you know, four or five tracks in, like, what is going on? Yeah. And then I realized it was a compilation. But what I didn't realize until later was that <laughs> she was the one who wanted to put that out yep. in in conjunction with the hits. hits. Yeah. Her record label said, well, we're going to put this out. And she goes, yeah, you can do that, but only if you put this out. And she chose the tracks, which I didn't know until later. They had been after her for a long time to do a greatest <laughs> hits record, and she never wanted to do nope. it, which is funny because now she's actually released, not so much in the last couple of years because she had a stroke a couple of years ago, but she's actually been releasing a lot of compilation records, mostly because she hasn't been making new ones, but she has been like, she does them all on themes and stuff, and she yeah. put out five or six of mm -hmm. them. And even for people like me who have every single one of her records, so it's like just listening to songs in a different order, it's still interesting. There's right. still something about it that it tells a different story, and I actually think it's still really worth it. I did that recently. She put out a four CD box set that has something to do with the ballet. I think some ballet company is doing her work. And oh. I think it's called Love Puts on a New Face, I think is the, the name of that box set. And it was really interesting because mm -hmm. it covered so much ground. But this one, the thing that's interesting to me about this one is how 80s, like mid 80s and early 90s heavy it seems until the second half of the record where she finally goes back for some of the early stuff. Right. It's so 80s heavy. It is. And I and I feel like, you know, I, I like her. I, I think it says a lot about Joni. It's just like this is her saying you guys missed the boat on yep. my work in this period of time and I'm going to make you read, you know, you're going to listen to it again and you're going to appreciate this time, yeah. <laughs> this time around. Yeah, she had, I read some interview with her where she go, where she made some comment about, you know, well, everybody thinks I died after 1973 because nobody paid attention after that. Well, and I think people were paying attention. I just, maybe it wasn't as... 
you know, the landscape of music had, you know, started to really change, and she was trying to find her way in it. Yeah. But, you know, some of her themes are, are more challenging oh, than yeah. a lot of the 80s music that was coming out. I mean, I'm a, a kid from the 80s, you know, we're mm-hmm. talking, you know, some, I mean, like Cindy Lauper, who I just loved in the 80s, said that this is her favorite album, Misses. Really? Which is funny, because I think of Cindy Lauper, and I think of Girls Just Want to Have Fun, you know, mm-hmm. those, those are fun themes, you know, but that's not Joni. I mean, she right. just goes... For, you know the social and yes the 80s were like where she made her change for and even not right away in the 80s 1982 her record wild things run fast was still kind of similar Joni like basically love songs and you know yeah. regret songs mm-hmm. traveling songs 1985 dog eat dog comes along everything has changed See, I, like is, that record. I do too I, love it. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that record it's it's kind of it's very 80s production, mm-hmm. but the songs themselves are really great. And actually, if you can find versions of her playing those songs, just her and a piano or just her and a guitar, it's as beautiful as anything she's ever done. Right. It's just those songs have that specific 80s sound to them, which isn't necessarily bad. It's just that it's so distinctive in its own way right. that it's, you know. Well, with the synth and yep. the way, you know, a lot of synths. Mm-hmm. A lot of synth. Yeah. So uh, anything, any track-wise jump out to you about this record? Well, I still have a hard time with the the wolf that lives in Lin, in Lindsay. Okay. You know, that's a, I mean I, that's a challenging listen for me. It doesn't make it a bad song or a bad you know um, uh, like a skip you know that I would skip it. But when it comes on, it's like you know with that uh, that very striking guitar and the yeah. striking. You know, it's like ooh, you know what's happening here. You know, so I always think that that's that's one of the ones that's probably my least favorite on the on the album. But man, it starts out and uh, track number one, track number two, track number three. I just you know, and how on earth is the um, a case of you? Why is I that know. on this album? That should be on hits. So if you go, if you look at this on Spotify, just pulled this up before you got here. I think it's the most listened to song. Yeah. So how can that be considered a miss? So here's what I remember. Okay, so 1996, this record comes out, October 1996. So I was 13 or 14, okay? okay. So right around that time, uh, Rosie O'Donnell had a talk show. Do you remember Rosie I O'Donnell? I do remember talk her, show? of course. That was when she was like the queen of nice, okay? So she had Joni on. <laughs> And actually, she really loved Joni. And I remember Joni being on the show to promote this record. And I remember her actually saying, well, you know, I've only really had one hit. And and Rosie just kind of rushed off. I was like, oh, come on, you've had hits. And she was like, no, really. I mean, I've had hits, songs that were hits for other people. But myself, I've only really had one hit. And I remember thinking, okay, well, I can see what she's saying. I don't agree with it either because, you know, she's the greatest singer-songwriter as far as I'm concerned that exists. So I don't agree with that either, but I see what she's saying in right. terms of, like, radio playing. <laughs> oh, she I hasn't see. Been, Okay, commercial. Yeah, commercial okay. radio hits. She hasn't had a ton of them, maybe. But then... Um, this song, which, like you say, has been covered as least at least as often as anything else, how can you justify putting this on misses and putting some of the other stuff that's on hits on hits? You know, mm-hmm. um, it, there has to be something conceptually that puts it on misses instead of hits, or maybe for some reason the record company didn't want it. The only thing I can think of it kind of is what we're talking about, where hits was so seventies heavy. 
And Joni maybe was like, well, you know, so what? I don't exist anymore after 1973 and, and wanted some representation of sure. some of that other stuff. I That's hit. possible. And it yeah. just had something had to give and she still wanted that song or whatever. But that, that to me strikes me as really strange that that one is on there. And the sequencing of it too, because the first, what, the first... To passion play, right. which I, lo I love that song, and I, I like Nothing Can Be Done, too. I love that record, that Night oh, Ride Home. I think yes, that's a I great, like that record, great record, too. And then A Case of You pops up, and I mean, you're, you're like, what, what, what's happening here, right? right? So I think that's when I, when I first popped <laughs> this in, I was like, that's oh, a very different wait, thing. Wait, no, I know this one. <laughs> so out of the first 10 songs, everything is from the 80s or 90s, right. except for A Case of You and The Wolf That Lives in Lindsay. And then the last four or five songs, yeah, the last four songs she are all from the 70s. She goes back to the 70s, yeah. So it's, for me, it's a sequencing thing, actually. And I, I can see why she would do it to kind of keep things if for people like you who don't know it's a compilation record it will keep you from just thinking it's one you know right thing it will just kind of yes. wake you up and be wait a second what is this it will help kind of you know jog your your paying attention ability but i don't know there's something about i almost wish the first two songs were flipped passion play is the first song it strikes me as kind of a, an unusual choice i like the song oh, i love the song i like how it opens do you really? yeah i do i think she's making a statement and i think that she's you know, with the song itself, you know, Passion Play, When All the Slaves Are mm -hmm. Free. I mean, that. I, I just, I don't know. I think that's very her. I love it. And then um, I was going to say that I think as I listen to this now, revisiting it with for this yeah. podcast with you, what strikes me is the sound of her voice singing mm -hmm. as she ages. Mm -hmm. And you know, with those, with the songs in the 80s versus the stuff in the 70s where it really has that pure crystal quality, you know? And as she gets a little older, I still love it, but it sounds almost a little, I don't know, a little darker quality to it almost. It's amazing that now as I'm aging, I'm like, I li listen for that. Sure. So I don't know. I found that a little bit of a kind of a twist. Yeah. Well, and. Going back to the sequencing thing, on hits, it starts at the beginning and it goes through in order, it I does. think, except for the last song. I think she puts both sides now as the last one. I did. So it goes in order except for that last one. But then this one, it's kind of all over the place. Um, and so, yeah, you get these different, yeah, you're, you're probably right, actually, that it has something to do with, like, it has more to do with the story that she's telling. She's trying to tell. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so here. So you, you're right, yeah. See, I'm looking at the hits track listing now, and yeah, it's so, it so goes, heavy in the 70s. Yep, it goes exactly <laughs> in the sequence of the songs were released. First 12 songs out of 15 are from her first four records. Right. And then the last two, she puts one from Wild Things Run Fast and one from Night Ride Home. And then the last song is a, another early song. So again, you know, 13 out of the 15 songs are from her first five years of work. And the last two songs are from everything else so afterwards. How do you think that conversation went down at the table? You know, and, and I, when she said, you know, that's fine to, to do this, but if you do this, it has to be with this other album, Mrs. Mm -hmm. And then she went through her work, and I mean, it's, I, I really feel like she's like, you, you guys 
miss the boat here on yeah, some of these. I agree. <laughs> I think it would be interesting, and I'm almost wondering if the conversation at some point wasn't hinging on both of these records being released as a double disc, if that makes sense. Because from the record company's perspective, I could see somebody saying, why would somebody buy a record called Misses? You know what I mean? <laughs> if they know it's in conjunction with hits, hits. everyone's going to buy hits. Right. Who is going to buy Misses? The diehard fans who already have all of these songs because they own all the records that they come from. Now, people like me, diehards, did buy the record anyway just because we felt like we owed it to Joan. <laughs> but you know what I mean? That's right. a hard sell. I'm, I'm kind of impressed she was even able to do that, to justify it without putting them together. Together. If it were together, I think no problem. But the fact that they're sold, I think only separately. I've they, never seen them. I've together. never seen them together either, except you can buy them as, a, you know, together on Amazon. Right. You know what I mean? Right, but right. they're still separate yeah. entities. You know, and it is funny, and also from a record label point of view, like financially, to, mm -hmm. to not put them together, you know, it's it's more expensive, right. you know, as you know, the packaging, all of that, and but it's it happened the way it happened. Yeah. I wonder okay, so this is when she was when with uh reprise. Okay, she was with reprise. Um yeah, so I guess I don't know anything about Reprise as a label. I was wondering if it was during the Geffen years, because Geffen, I think, was more of like a, you know, he was actually more involved, I think, in the in the artists that he was representing and putting out than a lot of the bigger labels. So, well, yeah, that's interesting anyway. I, I, I like this record. I'm so glad you chose this, as we kind of joked about when we <laughs> talked about it last time. If nothing else, this seems like Joni would totally approve of us. I feel like she's business. giving us a wink right now, yeah. going, you know, yes, thank you. Somebody gets it, Somebody right? gets it. And you know what? Her 80s and 90s stuff is as good, truly, as anything that she did in the 70s. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think it's just, like you said, it's the arrangements. It's mm -hmm. uh, stylistically how it it's, it's done based on that it was the 80s and, right. then, and then early 90s and that's kind of what producers were, were doing mm -hmm. and I'm sure she didn't want every record to sound like blue right you know what I mean so yeah the uh, you know when it comes to like top Joni records Turbulent Indigo and Night Ride Home would make it up there for me I don't know if they'd be in my top five or not Turbulent Indigo probably would but um, I'm not sure that the 80s ones would, even though I do love those records. But let's talk about your top five. I asked you well, to like prepare you know, my top five. So my first, you know, obviously my first introduction to her was Blue, mm -hmm. you know, and I listened and studied and I even learned some of the songs at home and, and, and just studied her approach. I mean, it's really, she's just amazing. Yeah. So I always feel like when I listen to Blue, it's just sort of a, like, it's like you're putting on your favorite sweater, yep. and, you know. Like, I think it's a perfect record. Me too. So I like that. I also like Court and Spark, mm -hmm. and I think that might be coming up on your... Yep, next episode, Doug Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about I love it. that record. I do too. It's. I mean, I don't think she has a bad record, honestly. I like for I the roses too. Oh, that's I another. Love that I know it's I another that early seventies one. But then I take. I mean, I like Dog Eat Dog. Do you really? Okay. I don't know. It might be the eighties kid in me that it just. There's something. Um, I don't know. It's. It's. I like it. It's compelling, and I appreciate that she. Mm. You know the statements that she's making on that record yeah. and making a leap. I like that. I like it too. Ethiopia. I love yes. that song. It's a yes. great song. Yes. Yes. 
And let's see. I like Night Ride Home, mm-hmm. too. I would say that those are kind of, right now, those are the ones that I like. It's interesting, isn't it, how that kind of shifts? It, it does shift. Mm-hmm. You know, I've listened to a lot of her music over the years, but then when you asked about doing this podcast, like I revisited some things, and it's weird, like, you know, what time of your life, like, what resonates with you Yeah. now? But that's, I mean, that's the gift of her songwriting. Absolutely. You know? So... Cool. Well, let's do something. Let's take a little break. I'm going to play a Joni cover that's going to be part of this process here, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Sweet, you know I could drink 
still I'll be on your feet. Still I'll be on my feet. Still be on Vicki Emerson, thank you again for doing this. Um, okay, so a couple questions in terms of like you and your and songwriting. Do you have you ever done Joni Mitchell songs in your set? Have you ever like managed to to kind of cover her in a way that you felt like I'm putting that in the set? No, my only experience playing Joni has really been from a student perspective. Mm, okay. So I. I, I think it's maybe uh, you know it's a challenge. Maybe that is a new challenge for me to to do that. But I have always gone at it. The approach is just studying like vocally how she does some of her the um, you know the jumps that she can take you know and it still makes sense in the song. That's mm -hmm. always fascinated me about her you know her melodic writing, and then of course you know how she structures things. Yeah. Um, you know so I. I feel like I've come across, come at her music as more of a student. So. That's great. I mm -hmm. think she's the best teacher, so that's great. <laughs> great I, mean, I mean, I feel like I learned songwriting from her, and I feel like I learned um, how to make your guitar sound, like one guitar sound like a lot more than one guitar. No, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a, oh, with tunings, and then the, just rhythmically, mm -hmm. like how she can, she'll go, you know, play it, you know, and so, she's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, this record, getting back to the the kind of song specific 
from it. Any other songs that kind of jump out to you for, for one reason or another on this record? Okay, I'll, I want to talk about one that I, I had to look up the lyrics because I was like, what is going on in this song? Because can, you can easily just, because uh, the uh, the instrumentation underneath is pretty repetitive. And I want to guess which one it is. Do you want to guess? I have two guesses. <laughs> is it either the beat of Black Wings? <laughs> yes. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. I was. It was either going to be that one or uh, oh, what is the other one? The chalk mark from a rainstorm one. The reoccurring dream. That one to me. You were talking about oh. how the wolf that lives in Lindsay is the bottom tier for you. I have to say, um, the reoccurring dream is bottom tier for me. And it doesn't mean I don't like the song, but I mean in terms of like Joni stuff. There's something about that song that's almost too repetitive too repetitive interesting no so the beat of black wings so i i was um i i had this on and i was listening and then i i kind of was like what is happening in this song because i i was more tuned into the lyrics mm -hmm. so i pulled up the lyrics then and i read through the whole thing and and i i mean it, it's incredible the story that she's telling and yeah. the, you know i so I can pull it up right now. I felt, I felt incredibly moved by it. Yeah. So you this see, this was this was a Vietnam kid, right? I think so. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. But even look at that. So it appears on Chalk Mark and Rainstorm, obviously. It's on Misses. And then if you go down there, um, it's on the complete. Okay, that doesn't count because that's just a repackaging. It's on the beginning of Survival, which was another one of those oh, that I was so talking it, about earlier. It came out on different. Yeah. So I think that's the other thing is like her song, she really wants people, like these different compilations that she has. There are certain songs that she really feels strongly about. Yes. And this is one of them, I think. And I, and I, and as I, you read the lyrics, um, um, I think I think you should like yeah. uh, be moved by this with this this soldier and his and you know like I think what got me into the song this the most recently was when she said this is his story it's a tough one for me to sing and I was like oh hmm. why and then you read the rest of it and it's just, it's a you know tragic about a veteran you know it's yeah. just it's so sad and it's, it's still um very important to our society today with the issues that we have with veterans Absolutely. and like, having um care for them when they come back so. yeah you know I have never had this thought until just this moment, but I don't know if you're aware of other songwriters. It feels like a lot of songwriters are doing this thing over the last couple of years where to kind of fill time in between new records, what they'll do is they'll re-record like solo acoustic versions of their songs. Like Suzanne Vega, for, oh, for one who's sure. done that. She's mm -hmm. put out like four different records. It's all her old stuff. It's just her, just different versions. It's just stripped okay. down her and a guitar. Dar Williams put out a record like that. Yes. Uh, a couple other people have done that too. And I was just thinking how great would that be for Joni to do, she should do that with some of the 80s, 90s stuff that kind of, I don't want to say suffered because it's, that makes it sound like I don't appreciate the songs, but, um, you know, to kind of give us a new path in to how these songs might sound where the, where the recordings themselves aren't distracting, if that makes sense. Right. So you just drop out the production yes. and you bring, you bring the song and it's raw state. Yeah. I think that would be fascinating. I don't know if we'll ever get another Joni Mitchell record, but I, if she wants to do that, that would be great. I'll buy it. I will too. <laughs> and I think that, I think, you know, some of these songs, I think that'd be a great way for her to, again, kind of 
give them to an audience and say, these are good songs you need to listen, which she's mm -hmm. obviously been trying to do now for a while. And this might be a different route to get people to do that. Correct. Because at this point, there are a lot of people who'd be really excited about just anything new from Joni. And, you know, even if it's new but older songs, right. that would be good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Joni, take that idea, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about uh, towards the end of the record? So, uh, you know, Harry's House. Mm -hmm. I really love that she incorporates centerpiece yeah. in that. I think it's, and I think it's brilliantly done. I do too. You listen, I love that. and I love that center. I love that song anyway, and how she brings the two of them together. Mm -hmm. I just, I love that. And then, um, well, I love. Well, you know, there we go. Dog eat dog. Like impossible dreamer. I love. I love that song too. Um, and then for the roses, I oh yeah. Okay, so love since that. this is the first episode, you know, just for me, the impetus of like putting this podcast together. Um, I had a friend of mine. We were going to do a different podcast, actually, about a, a film actress talking about her work. However, this uh, we're both big appreciators of, of this particular person. I don't even want to say who it is. Don't, because, because it never know. It could happen. And I, <laughs> I still feel like we will do the podcast at some point. She just lives far away, and we couldn't figure out how to record it from a distance, basically. So um, as I was driving around one day, you know, doing the summer gigs where we're in cars for way too yes. long, as you know as well as I do, I put in For the Roses, which I hadn't listened to, you know, beginning to end in a really long time. I had been in the sequence of like putting it on shuffle sure. on the iPod and the occasionally songs would pop up. But there was something about it that it was like I was hearing it for the first time. And it was absolutely not my first time. But, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, I feel like I haven't heard this record in forever. Mm -hmm. And For the Roses was one of those songs that I had not forgotten about, but it had been so long and I was just struck by how amazing that song is. It is. It is amazing. I mean, it's the title track. Yeah. You know, and and here it is on a on a Mrs. Mm -hmm. compilation. Her I, dog eat dog is too. There are well, a couple that, title tracks. You know, on I her. noticed that just the other day too. I was like, oh, she's got title tracks that are. This is fascinating. And the beat of Black Wings has the line chalk mark in a rainstorm that the record is named after. Right. So there are three of those. Actually, Hajira's on there too. We've got mm -hmm. four. We've made it to four. That's pretty good. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, there's something about that. And actually the arrangement, the song right before it too. I did a similar thing with Ladies of the Canyon where that was one of those songs where there were so many other kind of classic songs from Ladies of the Canyon that the arrangement had never stuck out to me. But there was something hearing it a couple months ago where the ending part with that kind of the high the yes. high singing and how much I love oh, that. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's gorgeous. So those two songs I'm really glad made it on this record because those are two really, I mean, those are part of the impetus for me starting this podcast, honestly. Those are two songs that really hit me. Hit you. And yeah. made me want to like revisit a lot of this stuff. Um, years ago, I met the actor Bill Nye, um, who was in that movie Love Actually. He played the aging rock star in it. I don't oh, remember that. Yes. But uh, the conversation I had with him revolved around Bob Dylan because he he anyway he told me that he had for years listened to at least some Dylan every single day of his life. Every day, there was no day that he could remember that he hadn't listened to some oh Bob my Dylan. Gosh. Yeah. 
And so he was like, well, don't you have anybody like that for you? And I thought about it, and I was like, well, maybe Sean Colvin, maybe. Maybe she's the closest. Maybe Patty Griffin or Lucinda Williams, but not every day. And then I thought, well, maybe Joni for periods. But then it stops for a little bit, and then it comes back, you know? And uh, so some of these songs, if you take a step away from them and then come back to them, there is something that new that you will hear. You will hear, definitely. Definitely. I, I totally agree with that. And a new appreciation or, you know, even your own life experience as things have happened to you. Like mm -hmm. for me, like I'm a mother now, I'm mm -hmm. married, you know, I, you know, I, I think I have some life, more life experience under my belt. And so you come at these songs and it hits you just in a whole different way. So that's how I've, I, I think of it too. Yeah. No, it's a great record. I'm I'm mostly fascinated. I was mostly fascinated when you sent me this choice, but know, I'm genuinely happy about it. Me um, too. And I've been waiting to hear why. So I'm glad that I'm glad that we've been able to discuss it and figure out, you know, what it is about this record that makes us kind of it's it's what we've been talking about this whole time. It's not that it's uh it's nothing new it's re-experiencing something right. in a different way right and like I said when I first heard it you know I was at the beginning of a songwriting career and blue is what I had, mm -hmm. had, had was my introduction to her and then to come in here this and go and I, I mean it was you how can you not just be just so blown away by her be like so she started doing these amazing records in her in the seventies, and then you know here's a compilation of her work and the just the like her range. Yeah, the scope of everything this, that she wrote about. It's yeah, just mind blowing. Yeah. Okay, so I noticed that Mrs. did not make your top five. No. It wouldn't make the top five. Okay, that's kind of interesting. No. Now, if I hadn't asked you not to do blue today, would that have been the choice you would have gone with? Would you have said, let's do blue? I probably would have. Okay. But then I thought of, you know, then I thought about, and I thought, but it's, I feel like it's an interesting story where you get to, how how did I wind up here yeah. with her? Yeah. You know, I, I just think it's, it's fascinating. Do you remember actually the first time you heard Joni? Had you not heard Joni until people started saying, you know, research journey. You probably no. Heard I heard journey. her. Yeah, I definitely heard her growing up. You know, my mom had a, a record of hers, and the, I'm sure it was blue. And then, uh, you know, the 80s and the 90s happened, and then of course in the early 2000s when I started really getting serious about songwriting, and that's when that was reintroduced mm -hmm. to me. Do you ever get the Joni Mitchell comparisons? When you're performing? Never. Well, she's a hard one. I guess I guess she's probably a rarer one for people to be compared to, just my, because she is And so my voice doesn't sound anything. I mean, I have like a very low alto, and so she and she has that just like a beautiful well, my, know, soprano. The so. 80s, Joni. Oh, well, the 80s, she's a little huskier then. Yeah. yeah. All those years of smoking, chain smoking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we all get the comparisons that you sound like, and they're right. bizarre. I've been told everything from John Denver is when I get more than anybody else, but you know everything from Frank Sinatra to Sheryl Crow, which explained that one. To really, me. somebody really told me Sheryl Crow one time. Oh, that's amazing! I usually, I get the same ones a lot now, over and over again, which I'm totally okay with. Lucinda Williams. Oh, that's I a good one to get. A That's lot. the best one to get. Sean Colvin. Yep. I also hear a lot. Um, let me see. 
Uh, occasionally, like Dar Williams. Okay. That and that's also yeah. wonderful. Those are three of the yeah. best right there, as far as but I'm Lucinda, concerned. Lucinda, I get that a lot. That, see, those are three of the very best, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, <laughs> keeping in this vein, I also asked you oh. if there were any new people that you were listening to. As much as I want to make this about Joni, I also love the idea of. You know, just giving quick insights into what else is striking you these days that's sure. not Joni. Okay, so uh, the the one that I'm I love right now. Um, well, there are several. Margot Price, and uh, okay. I'm really into her. Um, it's her album is called Midwest Farmer's Daughter, and she's sort of kind of on the Americana rise, I would say. You know, mm -hmm. she's really kind of making her her mark right now, and I just I like her songwriting. I like her arrangements of her songs. I, I love her voice. Like yeah. all of it is just really working for me. I hadn't heard that record, so I'll check that out. I've, oh, heard, her, I've heard some of her other stuff. Very good. Okay. And then, um, so this one's kind of one that you you probably won't know any of these, but this is um, Maddie Charles and Katie Rose. And so Maddie Charles, I heard in New York City, and he had the most amazing baritone voice I had ever, ever heard. Really? And he, and he played kind of these love songs and on his electric guitar and that I mean even my husband was like he's so good and my husband isn't musical at all and I'm like he is so good and I bought his record and this was seven years ago then I was reading um, some reviews of some albums that came out and here I saw he had a new album but it's with this girl named Katie Rose who I'm guessing they've I think I read that they met in Brooklyn and she started singing harmonies with some of his tunes. And the album is called Catching Arrows and huh. it's absolutely stunning. I will check that one out too. I've heard of Katie Rose actually. I've not heard of him. Now that is funny. Yeah. That, see, I, I don't she, know her. I think she co-writes with some people that I listen to, I think. Oh. If I'm thinking of the right person. We'll, we'll find out. Somebody will email us and tell yeah, us. Yeah, such. somebody will correct us. Anyway, I love, I mean, I love, I've loved Manny Charles and I love Catching Arrows. That's a new album. And he's reworked some of his older songs that are mm. on his previous album with her singing. Okay. So, it's a good plan. Sometimes we've got to do that, it, right? There's something it really, new about it. But it really, yes, it did, and it really brought new life to a couple of his songs that I love. And then I have been on repeat. Laurie McKenna, "The Bird and the Rifle." She's one of my all-time favorites. <laughs> love Laurie McKenna. <laughs> Who doesn't? It's actually right now. So I do the Song a Day project too. What I'm doing, what I've been doing over the last five or six days, is Laurie McKenna's first record, the pa uh, Paper Wings and Halo record. I'm doing that whole. Are record. you really? I, am, I love Laurie. Oh, McKenna. I have to zip by your by your YouTube channel and check it out. I adore her. She is, yeah, she is fantastic. She's she's one that. I feel like a lot of songwriters know who she is, and for a period of time, like she went on Oprah because Faith Hill was doing a bunch of her songs, yeah. and her story was really interesting, so Oprah booked her. So for a while, she was kind of pretty popular, you know? In fact, I think she went on tour with Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. I think you're Oprah. right. Um, but, you know, she kind of, I think, stepped back of her own choice, not because it wasn't working for her, but I think she, you know, she has five kids. She has like, five you kids, know. you know, that's a, that's a lot to manage. Yeah, and, and so, I, but her output has been really steady. She puts out a new record every year or two and it's always really oh, good. Oh, this one is great. Yeah. I, I just, I love it. I'm also, I, I've been, keep going back to Sturgill Simpson's new mm -hmm. album. I'm keeping, I keep finding here new things that I'm hearing. Uh, it's called A Sailor's Guide to Earth. I really, I really like it, and I have to say, record. the first time I heard one of the tracks on, I think it was The Current, I was driving around, I was like, what's, wait a second, I expected something different mm -hmm. from him, and so I, I was like, 
I need to go listen to that. I'm not sure if I'm real real happy with yeah. with Sturgill right now. And then I went and listened to the whole thing, and I'm like, oh, I love it. I it makes it. more sense context. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is one of those records that the the sum of it, it, rather than individual pieces, which I appreciate as a songwriter. I always think in terms of albums rather than singles. I know, and that's not unfortunately our the business of right. music right now right. is the opposite. However. I agree with I you. I think he's the kind of guy who doesn't give a rat's ass about oh, it. Oh, he definitely does not give a rat's ass. Yeah, he so says that I think, regularly. I think he probably <laughs> is thinking in terms of albums, too. Yeah. The thing for me with him is, you know, he got so many of the, like, Jason Isbell was, you know, top of the line for, for a few years. Or he was winning every award, and deservedly so, I think. That oh, he's an it. amazing songwriter. Southeastern was, again, it just like Blue, pretty much a perfect, perfect record. record. Agreed. Um, and the one after that is really great, too. Maybe not perfect, but off close to it and so then like he came on the scene and instead of just here's this great songwriter it was here's the next Jason Isbell and really they're not that similar they and, are not yeah and so that's the thing is I was expecting Jason Isbell type stuff oh from really yes because I just oh. kept hearing that okay and so when you kind of are able to drop that and just like let it be Sturgill Simpson that it works out a lot better for you it does it does and now an, a local album that I heard um, one or two tracks off of the current and then I pulled up the album and it's really strong is um, Frankie Lee American mm. Dreamer yeah I have that record yeah it's a great record I like it a lot yeah he's I, good he is good and I keep coming back to it and his voice initially was like hmm you know what's going on here you know and then as you like I listened to the album a couple times I'm like oh yeah I love it yeah well, I better let you go. You have other stuff to do today, but thank you so much <laughs> well, this for taking was, the time this to do this. This was really fun. Yeah, I appreciate your being willing to take part in the pilot episode here and for giving us an interesting record to talk about. And uh, yeah, we'll come back and do this another time, hopefully. Sounds good. All thanks right, thanks, Vicki. I was an unmarried girl I just turned 27 When they sent me to the sisters For the women looked at me Branded as a Jezebel I knew I was not bound for heaven Now I'd be cast in chain Into the Magdalene laundry Most girls come here pregnant Some by their own fathers Bridget got that belly By a parish priest Trying to get things white as snow All of us woe-begotten daughters In the steaming stains Of the Magdalene Long Ooh. Ooh. 
prostitutes and destitute temptresses like me fallen women sentenced into dreamless treachery why do they call this heartless place our lady of charity oh Bloodless brides of Jesus If they just once Glimpse their groom Then they know him And they drop the stones Concealed behind their rosaries Wilt the grass they walk upon They leads the light out of a room They'd like to drive us down the train At the Magdalene Lawn Peg O'Connell died today She was a cheeky girl of flirt They just stuffed her in a hole Surely to God you think at least Some bill should ring One day I'm gonna die here too And they'll plant me in the dirt Some lame bulb that never bloomed Many spring, many spring. Ooh, 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 ooh. ooh.